Uh, turn in your Bible to Psalm 116. Psalm 116. 20 years has gone by, a lot has changed, and uh, I'm called by different names. I'll answer to Mark. I'll answer to about anything. I'll answer to Mark. I'll answer to, to Dad. But these days, what I really like to answer to is Pop. I'm Pop. And I'm a proud Pop. And Stephanie is a granna. And uh, we are just, that is, that is our roles right now. We are absolutely loving being grandparents. Can you believe Dana and some of you back there? Can you believe that? And y'all are older than me. <laughs> I wasn't supposed to say that, right? <laughs> but time flies by, and it's just, a, it's amazing how it flies by. Uh, the assignment I was given, and, and I was not assigned a song, I was uh, told to pick out my favorite song, which is kind of hard to do, because if you grew up in the church, you like a lot of songs in the hymnals. And so I picked out one of my very favorites, and that is, Hallelujah, What a Savior. Who's leading singing tonight, by the way? Do you know that song? Will you lead that? Will you add it? Awesome, thank you. Hallelujah, what a Savior. That is a beautiful song. I love the meaning of it. I love, of course, how beautiful it is. It's such a beautiful song. But one reason why I love it so much is because it reminds me of somebody that's very, was very, very special to me. Somebody that was very dear to me that I thought the world of, and he was a friend, and he was a mentor, and you know who I'm talking about probably. Brother Mike Nix, who preached here, I guess, about ten years, didn't he? Nine years. And uh, I just thought the world of that man. And I don't know how many times I heard him lead that song. Hallelujah, I want a Savior. But that was, I think, his favorite song. And so that, we're going to look at that. But we're not going to look at that song as much as, I don't know how it, all the other speakers have been doing this. Have they picked a song and just elaborated on what the song is talking about? Is that kind of how it's been done? Or everybody's done something a little bit different? I've been known to do my own thing anyway. Okay, so... I'm not going to do that. I'm not, uh, not going to go through that song and talk about exactly what it's talking about and, and dissect that song or anything. But what I want to do is I want to talk about how that song should have meaning to us. And how every song that we sing in our worship to the Lord should have a lot of meaning to us. So that's what I want to talk about tonight. But I want to begin, before we go to Psalm 166, I want to begin by, by this little story about a young preacher. And he was... He was young and he was a beginner and he had just started at a congregation and uh, those of you who have done some preaching, you know that a young preacher when he first starts off is, he's very nervous and you know, not really sure and a little bit insecure and everything and so he was very insecure and he got hired by this church and, and so he, he got up and, and he preached his very first sermon and there at that congregation. And he preached a dynamite sermon on being dedicated and devoted to God and how you're supposed to follow God no matter what, no matter where it leads you in life. And the song leader got up right after that and led the song, I Shall Not Be Moved. And so he thought, well, that's just a coincidence, you know. I mean, that could happen to anybody. I'm sure there's nothing to that. And so he didn't think a whole lot about it. And so the second week he got up and he did a great lesson on giving. And I mean, he talked about how you're to be 
liberal in your giving and give in a sacrificial way. You talked about giving on the first day of the week and talked about how we're supposed to be giving to other people, not just the church. It's just a really good sermon on that. And the songer, uh, song leader got up and he led the song, Jesus Paid It All. And so by this time, he was starting to wonder, you know, what in the world's going on? Does this guy have a problem with me or something? Uh, so he got up the third week. The third week, he did a sermon on gossip and how gossiping was a sin, how that was wrong and how uh, that's sinful, how it's divisive, how it's destroyed congregations. And then the song leader got up and told uh, or led the song, I love to tell the story. So by this time, he knows that there's a problem. This guy's got a problem with me, or he doesn't, he doesn't like me, or I don't know what's going on, but it, it just made him nervous. And he thought, you know, I think I might even resign. And so the fourth week he got up and he said uh, that I've just got a lot on my mind, and I'm dealing with a lot, and, and I'm thinking very seriously about resigning. And so the song leader got up, and he led, oh, why not tonight? So he says, that settles it. You know, now I'm going to resign. I know that he's got a problem with me. I can't take this. I can't work like this. I can't focus on my job. And so the fifth week he gets up and he announces his resignation. And he said that I believe that God loves me, that God's with me, that he's going to go with me, that he's leading me to another work, to another congregation. And the song leader gets up and, and he leads the song, Oh, what a friend we have in Jesus. <laughs> Y'all are a little stiff tonight. Come on, that was good. Man, that's just a funny little story to, to remind us that there's meaning in our songs, right? Now, I grew up in the 80s and 90s. So I grew up in the time where heavy metal and all of that came out. And I was all into that. And Scott and I, my brother and I just loved that. And Dad did not. And Dad just reminded us over and over again that there is, there's meaning you know, in songs. And so, Dad, we get our cassette tapes. That kind of shows my age just a little bit right there. My cassette tapes. And he would look at the words, look at the lyrics, and listen to them. And he chunked most of them. And I hated that, man. That used to get under my skin. I couldn't stand that until I had kids of my own. Then I began to understand. But there is meaning in our singing. Now, our singing, uh, what we do here in a worship service, is a part of our worship. Singing is a part of our worship. Singing has always been a part of God's people worshiping Him. If you go all the way back to the Old Testament, you'll see that the Israelites would sing songs. When they crossed the Red Sea and they were delivered by God from Egyptian bondage, in Deuteronomy chapter 31, that is a, a song that is recorded, a song of deliverance and praise to God because of their deliverance. And it's also recorded in Exodus chapter 15. In uh, 2 Samuel chapter 22, you have the sweet psalmist David and how he is singing a song of praise to God because of his deliverance from, I don't remember if it was the Philistines in that case or, or another teen, another type people, uh, his enemy anyway. Uh, and that's really what the Psalms is all about. I don't know if you're familiar with the Psalms. I absolutely love them. Originally, they were five books compiled into one book of what we have today. And basically what that is is a compiling of songs to worship God. And so singing 
goes all the way back to, in the Old Testament, God's people worshiping him. Now, is it the same for us today? What do you think of when you think about singing in the church today? What passages come to your mind? Anybody? Ephesians 5.19. There's another one. And Colossians 3.16. Go ahead and turn to Colossians 3.16. Those are the two passages that come to our mind when we talk about, think about singing in the assembly, in the worship service, in the Lord's church, because those are the authoritative verses. And I'm not making fun of that or anything. All I'm saying is sometimes we get so stinking systematic with all of our thinking in the church that, that we really don't know why we do what we do. And let me, let me tell you, if the only reason why you sing when you come to worship God in the assembly is because that's the authoritative verses, because we have the authority to do so, and well, because Ephesians 5.19 and Colossians 3.16 says that we have the authority to do that, and so that's why I do it. Let me tell you, yes, it is authoritative, but if that's why you sing when you come here to worship God, there's a problem. There's a problem. Because that's not why we sing. Now, look at Colossians 3.16. We're not going to look at, at both of those passages, but we're going to get to Psalm 116 in just a little bit. But look at Colossians 3.16 for just a moment. You probably know this by heart. It says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making... Uh, uh, singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. Different translations. So there's two different things there that you see having to do with the purpose, if you will, of our singing in our assembly. First of all, he says, teaching and admonishing. Admonishing means to warn. And so one reason why we sing in the assembly when we're gathered here to worship God is to teach one another and to warn one another and I would say also to encourage one another. So that's one reason. The second reason really is more in Ephesians 5.19, but you also see it here at the very end. He says, to the Lord. In other words, our singing is to the Lord. So first and foremost, the most important thing and reason why we sing is to worship God. Right? Is to praise God. Now, why were they singing? Once again... Put things in the context always, okay? Don't just think that, okay, we sing in worship because we, we have the authority to do that, because uh, Colossians 3.16, Ephesians 5.19, put it in the context. If you look at the context of Colossians chapter 3, it's not even in a worship assembly, okay? Now, I'm not saying it's not authoritative, uh, that it's not authorizing singing in worship. I'm not saying that at all. It does. But I'm saying if you look in the context, it's not even in the assembly where they're gathered together to worship. If you look in the context, what you'll see is he's talking about Christians, new Christians, Christians there in Colossae, and how they have been delivered from sin and now they're saved. How they used to be lost, but now they're saved. How they used to have all of these characteristics, these sinful characteristics, these things. Remember he says to take off all of these different things. And basically it's the works of the flesh. They've done away with those things and now they've put on all of these Christ-like characteristics. And they are uh, not to be 
earthly minded anymore, but now they are to be spiritually minded and heavenly minded. And so they have something to sing about. In the context, the reason why they're singing is because they're new people. They're brand new people. Do you remember what it was like to be born again? Some of us have been Christians for a really long time. Do you remember what it was like when you first obeyed the gospel and had the burden of sin lifted? Boy, not even a smile. Do y'all remember that? Did you feel good? Y'all can talk. This is not a sermon. Did you feel good? Yes. Okay. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with you speaking. There's nothing wrong with you smiling. There's nothing wrong with saying amen. There's nothing wrong with getting a little bit excited about a message from the word of God. When you obeyed the gospel, you were excited, right? Why? Because you were a brand new person. And all of that sin that drug you down is gone now. And now you're living through Christ. Or rather yet, Christ is living through you. And he's changed you. And he's blessing you. And he's giving you blessings. And so you've got something to sing about. Now that's the reason why they did in the first century. What about us today? We use that same passage today to find authority to to sing in our worship service. What about us? Do we have something to sing about today? Yes. Yes. Are we not the same way? Are we not children of God? Okay. So we've got the love of Christ. We have His mercy. I'm thankful for His mercy. That because of that, I do not get what I deserve, and that is condemnation, Romans 6, 23. I'm thankful for His grace, because He's given me what I don't deserve, and that is salvation. I'm thankful there's no condemnation in Him. I'm thankful for all spiritual blessings being in Him. I'm thankful for the peace that surpasses understanding. I'm thankful for... Uh, the assurance that I have in Him. I'm thankful for the direction He gives me in my life. And on and on and on and on you can go. It's wonderful to be a child of God. And I tell you, living in this generation, in this culture, and seeing our country going the way that it's going, it's sad because they don't understand what they're missing. And so when we sing, brethren, it's supposed to be a shout of praise to God, of worship. So please... Don't just let it be something that you do because Colossians 3.16 and Ephesians 5.19 gives us authority to do that in worship. Let it be a reason why because I love the Lord and I love what he's done for me and so therefore I'm going to praise him. That's what it's about. And listen, I think we would be absolutely astonished and shocked if we could go back in time and see the first century church worship. I really do. Now, I don't, don't see anything there that I'm not saying. I'm not talking about them. I don't think they would have instruments of music and all of that stuff. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying I guarantee you it would be a lot more lively. And it would be a lot more emotion shown than we do today. We're just dead today. We just sing like we're dead. We're just going through the motion. And what God wants when we sing, what God wants is he wants us to come to him with a heart that is full of love and adoration and devotion to him. Thanking him, praising him for who he is and for what he has done for us. And that's what our worship is all about. That's what our singing is all about. Now for Psalm 116, this is the example I want to give you. The sweet psalmist. This is the example. And then we're going to go and we're going to look at our song. Psalm 116, 
beginning with verse 1. And something that you'll notice, I love this psalm, it's so beautiful. But something that you'll notice about this is that this psalmist is struggling. I mean, he is down and out. He is in the depths of despair. He's going through pain and sorrow and agony. And then all of a sudden something happens and he begins to just praise God. He makes a a change. There's a transformation about halfway through it, not even halfway through it. So beginning with verse 1, he says, I love the Lord. Now, it's almost, and I don't, I don't remember what type of song this is. I used to know that. that it's, it's going to tell you kind of the title of what the psalm is about first, and then it's going to back up and tell you how he got to where he's at. Okay, he says, I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my supplications. Because he has inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call upon him as long as I live. Isn't that beautiful? The pains of death surround me, and the pains of Sheol laid hold of me. I found trouble and sorrow. So I don't know what's going on in this guy's life, but obviously he's got some problems. And he's talking about Sheol. He's talking about death. And so I don't know if he's talking about him uh, at the point of death, or if he's fearing death, or if somebody in his family or a loved one is, is, is going through that. I don't know. What we do know is he is in the depths of despair. But notice the change right here as we go into verse 4. Then I called upon the name of the Lord. O Lord, I implore you, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Yes, our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. I was brought low and he saved me. Return to your rest, O my soul. He's calming himself down. He's saying, just take it easy. Just rest because God's got this. For the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. Now the first thing I want you to notice is that when this guy is going through the depths of despair and he is going through sorrow and pain and every, all the trouble that he has, he turns to whom? Turns to the Lord. He doesn't turn away from the Lord like sometimes we do thinking there's an answer somewhere else or maybe blaming him for the problems that we have. He doesn't go for a solution somewhere else thinking that the answer might be somewhere else. No, he turns to God. When everything is is crashing down around him and he's struggling like never before, he turns to God. And then all of a sudden, this song of sorrow turns into a song of high worship and praise to God. Do you see the contrast there? How he's, he's struggling like everything, then all of a sudden he's saying, praise you God. How do you do that? That's, that's the question I want to answer. How in the world, and we'll make application to ourselves in a little bit, but how in the world can this guy, can the psalmist, do that? How can he go from struggling the way that he is, maybe even to the point of death, to all of a sudden up on a mountaintop moment praising God in love and adoration. How in the world does that happen? Well, this is what I think. This is what I think because if you look at the whole psalm and you look at a lot of the psalms, what you'll see is an understanding that God is God. And what I mean by that is that God is wonderful. That God is a God that is full of love, that is full of compassion, that is full of mercy. 
A God that, that loves us and wants to help us out in our time of trouble and despair. You say, where in the world, world do you get that? Well, I get it in a lot of different places, but notice this one part right here. When he says, he hears my voice and supplication. Supplication means begging, so he's begging. And he says, and inclines his ear to me. Now, there's a little something lost in translation there because in the original language, which is the Hebrew language, that's a very intimate, not phrase, but word actually, where that whole sentence comes from. And what it means is that he gets close to me. He gets close to me and he comes into my life and he takes those troubles head on. That he experiences all of those troubles himself. That he takes that. When I'm going through sickness, that he's there with me. When I've lost a loved one, and I'm in the depths of sorrow, he's there with me. When I'm troubled by temptation, by the problems of the world, he's there with me. He inclines his ear to me. He comes close to me, and he's there to help me in my trouble. Now... Here's the question. How? <laughs> How does he do that? Well, we don't have enough time tonight to talk about all the different ways that God helps us because he helps us in so many different ways. I want to talk about mainly one. One is his presence. I'll never leave you or forsake you, he says. Lo, I am with you always, he says. He has given us his spirit, right? And so his presence helps us. We don't have time to get into all the ins and outs of that. And there's a lot of other ways, but what I want to talk about this evening, how God helps us, is that he sympathizes with us. And when you're going through trouble, that's what you need, probably more than anything else, because in your mind, nobody understands, right? Nobody understands what I'm going through. Nobody understands what I've lost. Nobody's been in my shoes, on and on. You know the feeling, unfortunately. But he does. Nobody else may understand where you've been and what you're going through, but God does. And he can sympathize. Now, turn in your Bibles. Just put a ribbon there, and we'll come back there, okay? We've stopped at verse 7, or actually we're going to pick up at verse 8 here in just a little bit. But go to Isaiah chapter 53. A very well-known chapter, something that was written some 750 years before these events took place. The events that, that show us that God can sympathize with us in, in any way, in every way. And Isaiah 53, beginning with verse 3, says that he was despised and rejected by men. You ever been despised before? You ever been rejected? It's not easy. I think we've all felt that at some time. It says, a man of sorrows. What a description. King of kings, Lord of lords. Messiah, Christ, anointed one. God in the flesh. God incarnate. So many different names for him. So many different things we could say about him. A man of sorrows. It's not one that we would think of. And acquainted with grief. Have you ever had grief? 
Hadn't we all? Hadn't we all lost loved ones and we've had that sorrow and grief in our life? It says that he was acquainted with grief. He understands that. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. The prophet Isaiah, 750 years before Jesus went to the cross, before he endured the scourging and the whipping and the beating and the shame and being spat upon, before he went to the cross to bear our sins, 750 years he's talking about this. Isn't that amazing? And he says that he was wounded for you and for me. Look at that. So nobody understands me. How in, the world can, how in the world can you go from the depths of despair to a moment of praising God when, Mark, you don't understand what's going on in my life. You don't understand the sickness I have. You don't understand that I'm dealing with this disease. You don't understand that I've lost my spouse of so many years. How in the world can God be with me? How in the world can he understand? Because he sympathizes. Notice this, and I know you know this passage, but when's the last time you read it? When's the last time you read it and really thought about it and thought about yourself and your troubles and that God actually knows what you're going through? says that he was despised for you, he was rejected for you, that he was full of grief and sorrows for you, each and every one of us. So he knows. You have any emotional struggles in your life? Most of us do. I think all of us do. Relationships, relational problems, maybe with children, maybe with grandchildren, maybe a spouse, maybe somebody that has vowed that they would be true to you and they haven't been. And you think, nobody can relate. You ever gone to work and, and you're going through something like that and, and you have these emotional struggles and you think, nobody understands what I'm going through. I've been there. I'm sure you've been there too. He understands. He can sympathize. That's my point. He can sympathize. He knows what it's like to have emotional struggles. I mean, you remember he touched the leper. Have you ever wondered why in the world he did that? Nobody would touch the leper. He was an outcast. Maybe that's why he did it. Because he could have just said, be healed from afar, right? He's there in the Garden of Gethsemane. His last hours. You want to talk about emotional struggles. He is about to take on the sins of the world. He's about to, to not just die, but die a criminal's death. And he's struggling with that. And so he has his friends, his best, his closest friends, Peter, James, and John. And they're there, you know, just a little distance away, it says, and, and they're supposed to be there for his moral support. 
They're supposed to be over there just a little bit away praying for him, watching for him, helping him, encouraging him. And what are they doing? They're sleeping. Watch and pray, he says. Happens several times. Does he know about emotional struggles? You better believe it. Do you have any physical struggles in your life? Don't we all? Some more than others? I have a best friend right now besides Stephanie. She's my best friend. <laughs> but outside of my marriage, my best friend, and his oldest brother right now has just been diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, stage three. Just about three weeks ago, I guess. And he's been in all kinds of pain. He's been, he, he spent, I don't know, uh, a week and a half, I guess, in the hospital from the time that he went from not having any energy and hurting to being diagnosed, going in the hospital, being diagnosed and stayed in the hospital for about a week and a half and being told that he has stage three cancer. And all kinds of, yeah, I can't even imagine what the man's going through emotionally and what he's going through also physically. You know, and some of you, I don't know everybody here, I certainly don't know your circumstances and what you're going through, but I'm sure there's a lot of people here that are struggling in a physical way, some kind of ailment, some kind of sickness, some kind of disease. Maybe you're taking chemo treatments or something right now. And you think, you know, even though people say, I'm, I'm thinking about you and I love you, I'm praying for you, and that's sweet and that's awesome, but you think, they have no idea. And they don't. Maybe if they've gone through it, maybe. But they really have no idea. And you think, nobody understands what I'm going through. And you're probably right. Except one does. Does he know about physical pain? Stripped, whipped, scorched, crown of thorns placed on his head, jammed down on his head. Had to bear his cross, suspended from, from a cross with spikes through his, his hands and his feet. Can you imagine? He knows about physical pain. And so, brother, what I'm trying to say is we have a God that can sympathize no matter what you're going through. Now, we're, we're about to look at our song in just a moment. That, that wonderful song, but what, what I want you to understand is when everything seems like it's falling apart and th that nobody understands what you're going through, you have a God that understands and that inclines his ear to you. He bends over and he gets close to you and he is going through, whatever you're going through, he's going through that with you because he loves you. Now, go back to Psalm 116 one last time, and let's pick up where we left off. We got to verse 8. He says, You have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. I said in, in my alarm, all mankind are liars. This guy's been done wrong, obviously. 
he's saying there's nobody honest out there. They're all just a bunch of liars. And he says, what shall I render to the Lord for all the benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in, uh, in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. O Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people in the courts of the house of the Lord in the midst of old Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. I love the way he ends it there with an exclamation point. Praise the Lord. Now, notice in verse 8, something's very interesting. He says that you delivered my soul. Can you sympathize with that? Has he delivered? If you're a child of God, he's delivered your soul. He saved you. And so that's something to rejoice about. And he also says, my eyes from tears. Remember Revelation 21.4? He's going to wipe every tear from our eyes. All of that's going to be history. Because he loves us. In verse 13, he says, I will lift up the cup of my salvation. And something that's very interesting here, I love this. That word salvation in the original language in Hebrew is actually plural. And so it's salvations. And you say, what's the big deal about that? Well, the big deal about that is, think about this. He's not only your deliverer talking about from sin. He's talking about souls, so not only talking about sin, but he gives deliverances over and over and over again. As you're struggling in your life, maybe with relationships, sickness, disease, the loss of a loved one, whatever it is, he is coming close. He inclines his ear. He is close to you. He's going through that. And he is working on your behalf continuously to deliver you over and over and over again out of trouble, out of the depths of despair. Isn't that awesome? Man. Y'all are a dead group. Wake up. That's awesome. That's great. I love that we have a God that is active in our life. That delivers us over and over and over again. Have you ever been there? Have you struggled in your life? Am I the only one? Hadn't we all struggled? And listen, this, if you are a child of God, a faithful child of God, and no matter what you're going through, if you put your trust in Him... No matter what, I can't explain it. And I tell people, that's one of the things that I share with people when uh, evangelizing and, and trying to share the gospel with people is I can't explain it. All I, can, all I can say is he's there and he helps me. Amen. He does that. He says, I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to forsake you. I'm with you always. He said, I'm not going to give you more than what you can bear. He says, I'm going to be there with you and I'm going to help you. And I'm going to deliver you over and over and over again. And guess what? God's not a liar. And I'm his child. And I trust in him, even though I don't know what, what all is going to happen in the future. And I have no idea why things happen the way they do sometimes. But I trust in him. And so, I feel it. I know that sounds mystical, but our God is amazing God. He is He's spirit. And I can feel that. He gives us deliverances over and over again. Now here's the question. 
If you are a child of God, which most of you are, and you have felt that, you know that God is working on your behalf, you know that He's there with you going through whatever you're going through, that He delivers you, what, what will you give Him? What is that worth to you? Huh? How, what is that worth to you? Listen, we can't, give them, we can't give them a day a week a lot of times. We can't give them time during the week because we're so busy. What's it worth to you that the creator of the entire universe loves you so much that he gave Jesus to die for you and that he continues to deliver you from your sin so that he can live eternally with you? He doesn't have to do that. What's that worth to you? Notice what the psalmist says. Two different things, verses 17 through 19. Number one, this is verse 17. He says, I'm going to offer the sacrifice of thanksgiving. And what that means, brethren, that means worship. I'm gonna, we're talking about worship. We're talking about singing. I'm going to offer the sacrifice of thanksgiving. I'm going to worship him. I love him. I love what he's done for me. He is so good. I'm going to worship him. Right? Don't let your song service be systematic and just going through the motions. Don't, when, when, you're, when you're singing and praising God in the worship service and somebody asks you, about your song service maybe at the church that you go to. Don't say, well, because of Ephesians 5, 19 and Colossians 3, 16, we, we sing. Yes, that gives us authority to sing in our worship service. But you sing to God because of what He has done for you. And because of how much you love Him. That's what He wants. He doesn't want the meaningless he doesn't want the, the mundane. He doesn't want going through the motion and just doing it because that's what we always do. And those scriptures say that, that that's what we do. He wants it to be from a heart of, full of love and adoration and devotion. Worship means a pouring out of love and adoration. Our God is so good. What am I going to do? I'm going to worship Him. Notice secondly what He says in verse 18 to 19. He says, I'm going to proclaim him. And he talks about really two different groups there. He talks about really the, the children of God, but then he says Jerusalem. And I think he's talking about everywhere else, everyone else. My God is so good and so wonderful. And he's done so much for me that I'm going to praise him and I'm going to tell him. I'm going to tell other people about him and proclaim him to others. Amen. And he ends it like this. I love this. He says, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Can we sing that song like we mean it? I guess not. Can we sing? Mike can. Can we sing the song like we mean it? Yes. Okay. Well, our song leader is going to lead us in that.